Blog Talk Radio. Somebody in one state, someplace. 
Anyhow, I'm oh, here. We go. I did the, the, the daggone tennis. So has been sidelined too, along with everything else. But let's bring it back. Let's uh, get tennis going again here pretty soon. Just be careful out there. You know, I guess I give my disclaimer. But uh, all of the social distancing and all that stuff. But my golly gee whiz, I think we could have done a little bit better from our leadership position there. But uh, before I get controversial, and that's all the controversial stuff I'm going to do, I want to talk a little bit about what we're doing today. And we are back. This is We're just about ready to start our eighth year in American tennis. I'm really happy to be back. And uh, we'll start trying to have more and more guests on like we do today. Uh, I just want to introduce him here in a second and bring him on. Uh, Don, let's see, I'm trying to get your, there it comes up. Now, Don, are you, I, I hope you're coming in yep. loud and clear for you. And I didn't yep, want to get off in there loud and clear. Okay, I didn't want to get off something controversial out of the blocks, but I guess <laughs> as an attention grabber, I could talk. I could talk 45 minutes alone on that, and we've got an hour here to cover the program, and I appreciate your time so much always. But I did want to introduce you in the right way, and I'm going to do my sort of my impression on this in a second, and, and then you can add in, and then let's get into the heart of the matter, which is this fantastic book that you have out now. It's called Tennis Gold. And it's really a compilation of so, so many brilliant people out there in the sport of tennis. And, um, Don, I'll just say that, you know, out of the blocks that I've, I've written books, and it is completely, it completely an all-engrossing, completely engaging, completely you you really can't think of much else during this time period you you, you do it and um, I want you to talk about your book and it is out on Amazon right now right Tennis Gold is yes, out it on is. Amazon it's on okay, Amazon so what do people just okay uh, okay so Don Varda V A R D A you're from Elkhart Indiana and you know what you're an educator first you're a parent just like a lot of us out almost out of us out here listening would, would uh, say we're parents we love tennis but you're an educator also you've been teaching a lot of years there up in that area and uh, now you're known as an author as well and um, what I'd like to do to start out is if you could just talk a little bit about your motivation for writing the book I mean uh, what was it about 18 months to two years it took you I mean how long yeah. did it take you to collect all this great information yeah it, go ahead it took me about it took me over a year it took me about a year and a half to do the entire thing yeah right. I, how um, engrossing go ahead no go ahead Chuck no how engrossing was it for you I mean uh, I, I just know that you can't think about much else and um, it, it's such a relief. Not, I, I, no, wait a minute. It's such a joyous relief when you get it out there. I don't know <laughs> if I've done anything else in my life that feels better. But talk about that process a little bit, about how hard it is. Because, you know, how many people we have say, hey, I'm going to write a book. But, uh, wait a minute. You've got to completely fall in love with the process, right? Yeah, you sure do. And, uh, Chuck, thanks for having me on your show. I sure appreciate it. Um, I, I, it, it was a process and, um, 
you know, what I, what happened with me was I started, you know, I was traveling, I was going to the nationals. I was watching a bunch of uh, tournaments in the Midwest and running into all these great coaches and all these great people. And then, you know, a year and a half ago, I thought, you know, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to interview these people and ask them, you know, the best coaches and players and parents we have in the sport, uh, you know, that I would come in contact with. And uh, fortunately, we were able to get them from all over the United States. But I, I, um, I would interview them. Then I had to take that interview home and transcribe it. And now there's some nice, uh, you know, nice ways to do that, uh, where you can get their text actually printed into a document that you can start to work on that text. But once you get that text, you have to go through and edit that text. And you know, I hired an editor to help me with that. Um, I thought having an English teacher do it would be much better than me doing it. And, uh, and then you start to put the whole book together. Uh, and it was, it was a lot of work. Most of the interviews in the book, Chuck had to be shortened because I, I did not want the book to be 700 pages. Um, I tried to go through and really pull out the best of the best, or at least what I thought would be best for, for, for my reader. I actually put up a sign in my office and it said, put your reader first, you know, do what's best for the reader. This was to help people. Uh, this was a book that I wish I would have had when I started with my son, Michael, when he was a young player. And I just put a poster on my wall that said, keep the reader first and uh, went through those interviews. And then, you know, you know, the rest, Chuck, you've written several books you know, you've got to get a cover design. You've got to process the book. You have to provide a format for Amazon, and, and you have to do all those different things. Take a lot of time. And it was interesting when we went when our school got closed because of the pandemic. Um, all of a sudden, I I was at home, you know, and I had 12 hours a day uh, to get my teaching done, work with my students, do our e-learning, and then work on the book. And I, uh, my wife will tell you, I was up all night doing it. And Chuck, I really loved it though. And I, I, I can't, I love talking to everybody in this book. And it was just such a learning experience for me. And, uh, you know, I, I called it tennis gold because when I was with some coaches, you know, coming up as a, as a young tennis, uh, teaching professional and, uh, a young person, new coach in the sport years ago, you know, I, we, we, we'd be on the court talking about, you know, a strategy we used or, you know, we practice three times a day before state to get our player to win state, you know, and, 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 and our friends would go, Oh, that's gold, man. Oh, that's gold. And I thought, and I've been hearing a lot of coaches would say to me, Oh, that's gold. And, and I thought, you know what, that's, that's this book, tennis gold. Let's go out and talk to these coaches, former players who are professionals, the book covers everybody from who's won a high school state championship to a to a college to a professional to a Grand Slam championship. Uh, there, everybody. This book covers the entire sport of you know getting from your local club to the very, very top of our sport, and uh, and that's you know that's why we called it tennis gold. And uh, it was a lot of work, Chuck. There's no question about it. But I have to tell you, um, I really loved it. Well, we're, we're right. Let's talk about who those people are. I mean, Bobby Bayless, listen, I'm so happy you got Bobby Bayless to do the do the uh, intro and the preface and then his own chapter two because he has really 
he epitomizes really what a coach really is. I mean, his whole career, he started Naval Academy, and then he was in Military Academy, and then he, he went to uh, MIT, then he was at Notre Dame. but And then always, he has always been the guy that you respect just because you respect him. He it just he wears respect on his his collar. He just is a just. I can remember very early in my coaching days how. Uh, I mean, he was just the kind of person was always there that would give you a uh, an answer and be able to counsel you at the same time. But and he came up pretty hard. He came up just by falling in love with tennis. But you got Brian Shelton who was. Everybody should know Brian Shelton, coach at Florida now, but he was at Georgia Tech, won national championships with their the women's programs there, but he was a great player at Georgia Tech, and he's just so well-respected. But now he's a father, does it? You have people like Tim Cleland, who runs Indiana State High School Tennis Association, Mark Riley, who runs Kalamazoo. you got David Father Rose. You've got a, a great player here at the University of Northwestern who is now coach at Washington. Rose Munns, and then but I was real excited that you have Vesa Ponca and Ray Benton, who I worked with at their College Park. They're turning out players like Francis Tiafo and Robin Montgomery, who are both there. You have high school, and, and I can go on. Paul Koshelski was one of the greatest tennis players ever to come out of Indiana. I mean, I know that we have great Todd Witzkin, who, you know, passed away years, years back, and then Kent Kinnear and people. You have Tom Gullickson, who's coached my guy, and, and on and on. I don't want to leave people out. Bruce Burke, you know, Bruce Burke is a great story, and I don't want to take up the time here, but Bruce, I mean, he has been through the whole arena of different positions in coaching. He was an assistant coach, then he was a head coach, then he was an assistant coach again, and he, he went and got out of it for a while, and then he came back this year and won the uh, national championship at the University of Texas. So you've got wonderful people, but here's what I wanted to ask you: the question, the question, Don would would be what? How was the idea born? I mean, you said you were just out there as a father yourself and as a teacher and as a coach trying to figure some stuff out. So what what happened? What was the oh man, I got to do this moment? Uh, what happened was I started meeting parents and I started meeting other players. And I, and I said, what do we do next? And how do we take Mary? What tournaments should she play? And what, how many times should Johnny hit per week? And how do you get recruited? And how do you get to the USTA? And how do you qualify for the Pi Cypher? And how do you play in the Midwest Close? And, of course, I worked all those tournaments, Chuck, and I was also a USTA official at the time. And over the years, and it wasn't, you know, it didn't immediately dawn on me, but after you coach, and you know this, you've coached for so many years, but after you coach and you hear these words, and I thought, wow, these, these people are asking a lot of questions, and these are questions that I don't care if you're playing in California, Florida, Texas, or New York, these are the questions that young players and parents are asking. And I thought, okay, who, who, who best to answer these questions? I came up, you know, coaching high school. I coached some college Division One players, but I hadn't coached anybody who won Wimbledon or who won the Wimbledon Juniors or who won the Orange Bowl. And and I thought, let's let's get together here with the masters of this game, men and women, players and coaches, and let's ask them some of these questions so a parent could read this book and go, wow. 
because I think, you know, Chuck, you, I, I've read your books, your book's sitting at my dining room table right now. But I, I think what happens is um, when you get started in this sport, initially people think, oh, th- th- this is, this might be easy, you know, and, and boy, you find out right away, it's not. And then you find out just when you think all your ducks are in a row, you go out to a new pond and there's 50 other ducks and their ducks are really you know, in a row. I want to jump in there. I wanted to ask you about your interviews here real quick. And I'm going to come back and talk about tennis not being easy, but what was, give us one of your more interesting interviews, which when were, which interview would you say you walked away and go, Whoa, man, that, that, um, that is. Uh, yeah. I mean, probably a couple of them for sure. Brian Shelton's interview, in my opinion, Chuck is worth the price of the entire book. Uh, that man has done it all. His son is a top player at uh, in in the, at the nationals. His son made it to the semifinals at Kalamazoo. Uh, his whole life story, you know, being born on an army base, the disciplines his dad taught him, the disciplines that he does with his son and his daughter, you know, when they could play tennis, they're putting the cell phone away. Uh, David Filer, you know, his son, little David, one of the top players in the world now in the United States and, you know, how they're traveling, where they're playing decisions they're making. Um, Bobby Bayless, you mentioned Bobby Bayless. Bobby Bayless's players love him so much. I'm reading his book, Cross Court Reflections. And when you, and he's done so much, he's been everywhere. He's played everywhere. And he's the most generous guy in the world, Chuck. I was at at one of our matches and uh, in in the South Bend uh, area at Leaper Park. And, you know, I get a tap on my shoulder and it's Bobby Bayless. And he turns around and he said hello to me. And, but the guy is just, He's just a legend. And, Chuck, you know, you're in the book, and I, I don't want to get away from that. I mean, Chuck, I could I could have asked you one question about tennis, and you could have gone on the entire time and covered the sport, and had we talked for an hour, you would have still had 20 more hours you could have easily dropped in. And and you guys are just the legends of this sport. And I, I, I have so much respect and admiration for the people in this book. And, and Chuck, I, I talked to you when we talked a couple of weeks ago. I really love the book, Chuck, and it's I'm saying that humbly. It's not because of me. It's because of the contributors in this book. When you hear where they started and what they did and the adversity they ran to, it wasn't always perfect. And you read that, and then you connect with that as a reader. Uh, I mean, what, how, how much of, you can't get much of a better experience than that. I had seen other books that were written, uh, about, you know, I'm going to interview 10 business people that own businesses and put their, you know, things in a book. And I thought, well, I'll interview, you know, uh, 10 or 20, uh, tennis, tennis people and, and put their lives in a book. And, uh, and that's, you know, Rajiv Ram's in the book. I mean, uh, he's, he won the, uh, Australian Open this year in doubles. I mean, it, it's it's it was just a combination of all those things. Yeah, Rajiv Ram. Most people don't know, but I I quote uh, very often. I'm quoted when I uh, get a little bit upset that we don't have enough. Uh, you know, with the job college tennis is maybe not doing right now with our American players. That Rajiv Ram has remained one of the four players four. Uh, that have 
made the top 100 that have gone to college as Americans. At one time, we had 41. But I and and so Rajiv Ram has been in there year after year after year. And uh, but you're a lot of people would not know him. There's there's some things we're not doing well with the way that we champion our athletes and coaches in the right way in tennis. We stay celebrity driven by just a couple. I wanted to jump in and just tell you, I don't want to lose my trend of thought here, but Rod Laver's book, Rod Laver's autobiography, I just, with all this time I've had, it's 350 pages, fantastic book. The forward is by Roger Federer. Everybody should get that book. It was out 19, let's see, 2013, I believe. It's just called Rod Laver and Autobiography. But what you're talking about, about the grassroots, nuts and bolts, falling in love with this sport, he goes back even to his childhood and talks about it. That's why your book, I think, will be so successful, Don, I, because it does, there's an emotional attachment, and people can identify right away. It's not just about the titles that, that they, they've won and everything like that. Uh, what is there any story that sticks out in your head like, whoa, that's the most out there thing I've ever heard about a person getting good in tennis. Like Byron and Wayne Black's story from Zimbabwe, their their story is unbelievable. If anybody wants to really read up on Kara, Byron, and all three Wimbledon champions and doubles and, and great, their dad taught them in the middle of Zimbabwe out on a farm. They had a farm on a backboard, basically. It's just amazing, amazing stuff. Anything that sticks out like that to you, Don? Yeah, I mean, take Tim Cleland. Um, His dad, uh, they didn't have a a running bathroom at their house. Uh, He hit against the wall on their barn for two years. He had nothing. He had no money. He was just, he fell in love with the sport. He went outside and hit against their wall for two years. Um, One of the things that I thought was so fascinating with Rajiv Ram, when we, you know, when you first start in the sport, and I wanted to comment too on what you said about people not knowing these players. You know, when I met Rajiv Ram at our coaches clinic, you know him, Chuck. He's the nicest guy in the world. I mean, you could never find a classier guy. He walks down the hallway and the runway at the Carmel Racquet Club and the Indianapolis Racquet Club, and he stops and talks to everybody. He's a hero there. He's from Indiana. But I've never seen anybody that selfless. I've been to plenty of professional sporting events where if you walk up to a certain guy, they'll walk away and they won't give you their autograph. I mean, he signs autographs. And and, and, and he made the comment to me right after he won the mixed doubles in the Australian Open, which I believe was a year or two ago, you know, he he made the comment to me, uh, it's funny that nobody knows me. Outside of Indianapolis, no one knows me. And I emailed him a couple weeks later, and I said, would you allow us to come and videotape you and do a television show and, and, and have that on video, and I'm going to put that on YouTube? I, and he said, yes, we're going to do this book. I'm going to do a video. And at least when you win, if somebody ever went on YouTube, which all the kids are going on now, and they type in your name, they're going to be able to see a full show and a full video of you on YouTube. And he agreed to do all this, 
and, and we did it. And that video is coming out real soon. It was something we taped early in this process, and I want to make it nice, and I'm editing it and trying to make it nice to represent him, but it's going to be out there. And I want to say you mentioned some of these stories. Uh, uh, I have to go back to Rajiv because when I started in the, in the sport at our local level, you know, at a small club, you see the entire gamut of parenting and parents that you've never seen yelling at their kids at tournament, little 14, 12 year old girls crying because they just lost a match and they played Serena Williams body double. And the kid comes up off the stairs and she's you know, her dad's yelling at her when she gets to the top of the stairs. And, and that two hour ride home is awful. And Rajiv Ram says early in his chapter at his house and Chuck, you're going to love this. But he said at his house, winning and losing was not the priority. Winning and losing was not discussed by his parents and him. I mean, Chuck, can you imagine that? They weren't discussing winning and losing. He said his job. I mean, yeah, yeah, his parents were saying, hey, work on your game. Paul Kachelski, winning and losing, not discussed. He said, I'd come home from a tournament, and I'd have to bring, up, bring it up two days later to my parents if I had won or lost the tournament. It was, and he taught his girls that were all uh, state champions. His wife's a state champ. They have eight state championships in his family. Winning and losing was not the t- top priority. And he taught his kids, work on your game, work on your strokes, work on who you're becoming as a person. He said, don't worry about the wins and losses. They're going to take care of themselves. I mean, Chuck, is that not brilliant stuff? Well, it, it's. I think a lot of parents know this in our heads, uh, but the whole process of conveying it in the right way, it just in the right. First of all, I know for a fact as a coach, tone is extremely important to delivery, the body language. But what you say can be the third, third or fourth most important thing as a parent, and we all know that. We all know that. So. You know, that's, that's, you know, I, I just think that we're all beginners of being parent, but we have to remind that. You know, one thing I'd just like to jump in and throw in here to all the parents, tennis is not an easy sport. Now, I've always had a problem when people say, oh, boy, jump in. Everybody can play. It's game of a lifetime. Just no. Now, pickleball is very, very easy. Everybody's playing pickleball because it's easy to pick up, easy to put down. But tennis is something like, play, you know, a piano or playing the violin or being a great artist. It's not paint by numbers. There's so many dimensions to it. Yes, you can get to the place where you can play it. I always say there's nine months of frustration to a parent, Don. I, I tell them, sorry. But it's going to take nine months before your child can pretty much control that ball. And guess what? It takes five years to learn, ten years to be a champion. But as a parent, I think, Don, the message here is that parents need to remember that, um, gosh, uh, you know, we feel a certain thing towards our children. We want them to be successful. But I think what you're saying there is that the process always overcomes working for mastery is much more important than just working for success or, you know, validation that, hey, we're better than somebody else. But um, you've got so I many mean, we, questions. Go ahead. Go ahead. Jump in. Well, I mean, we, well, we all, we all want our kids to win, right? 
that's the natural uh that's the natural thing of of parenthood is you know make sure your kids survive try to take the best care of them you can teach them what you can and we all want our kids to win and that's normal and that's natural but you know when you hear the uh advice and the life experience of these uh players who are telling me their winning was not the number one thing when they when when they were juniors and and Chuck, what you just said, and you say in your chapter in this book, this is going to take you a couple years. This is going to take you years before you can play this sport well. And I just, new parents don't see that coming in. Especially from in the outside, society, in the instant society where we want everything instantly. Put it in the microwave, 30 seconds later, it's done. You know, from the outside, just uh, – jump in there and one one little antidote i've had parents for years they'll ask does my child have it do they how good can they be i said first of all look at them as if they were i said have you ever gone to like a high school and listened to a very very good piano play this person playing the piano maybe they're playing some chopin or something and go whoa whoa that's really really good stuff and our ears are only trained to say, well, that's good enough for high school, but there's six more levels before they're at Carnegie Hall. <laughs> yeah. And in tennis, I said, it's the same thing. You can watch children hit a ball. You can hear them run it and see them running, and they're, they, they look so good. Their game is so good, but this game has so many layers to it, the the emotional levels that players have to go through and and just overcoming the pecking orders and things. But as people, to all your parents out there, as your youngster gets into tennis, they fall more and more in love with it because of the complexity of it, and they develop a, a, a relationship with the game. And I, you know, and, and just to throw in what's going on now with this coronavirus thing, people feel abandoned. <laughs> right now and not being able to play tennis it's not just the exercise it's the emotional relationship that that you develop with it and i think all parents need to to figure that one out so if you're a parent out there you need to read about how hard it was for most of these people now you've asked don it seems like every question you know has been put out there you know you've put out so many questions can you think of any just off the off the cuff stuff that uh, players said, like you know, that were like, "Whoa, I, I never like somebody did yoga." Every, I don't, I'm not saying that, but yoga every morning, or wait a minute, I decided that I would eat uh, three apples a day, and I figured out it helped my serve. Is there any stuff out there that's just really fun, uh, fun stuff? Um, what oh was yeah, the, let me give uh, let me give you a couple of them. Um, Brian Shelton, he's playing. He's a new pro. He he's going to play Jimmy Connors in New York at the U.S. Open. He walks down the tunnel, and who does he walk into? Arthur Ashe, his hero. And Arthur Ashe says, "Brian Connors is going to bully you. He's going to say things to you. He's going to come at you with everything he's got." And he said, "You have to withstand the storm." He said, "Get ready. You know it's coming." Sure enough, Brian goes out on the court. He plays, and, and Connors is just tearing into him, and it's a brutal first set. And Brian Shelton wins the first set 7-6 in a tiebreaker. 
He sits down for the changeover. He's in New York City at the U.S. Open. There's 24,000 people there. And he said he looked up at the scoreboard, and it said Shelton 7, Connor 6. And he said when he looked back down, he he lost the next three sets in a row, 6-2, 6-2, 6-2. And he said he was a very young player at the time. And he said from that lesson, I took away keep your blinders on. You know, don't get all caught up in, oh, look, you know, Brian Shelton's ahead of Jimmy Connors. He got <laughs> caught up in that. He lost his focus, and, you know, he ends up losing in three sets. But I'll, I'll even go back, you know, at the local level. Brian Smith, who's our USTA regional uh, director here in Indianapolis, Brian uh, is playing, and uh, he's a young player. He told me he weighed, uh, you know, he was four foot seven and weighed 104 pounds completely wet as a junior and uh, he was playing, he won two state championships and he said to his dad, he said, dad, I think I have an opportunity to win the state championship or no, pardon me, Chuck. His dad said to him, Brian, I think you could win state this year in high school in Indianapolis, which you know is very, very difficult. And Brian says, well, I I don't think so, dad. I'm I'm not quite ready. His dad said, Brian, we're going to hit before you go to school, you're going to go to your team practice and hit during that practice. And then we're going to hit after school. And if you want to do that with me for three weeks before the state tournament starts, I'll do it. But, but, but here was the beautiful thing, Chuck. He said, only if you want to do it. And, and, and that, and that, and you know, and Brian of course wanted to do it. And when his dad took him home from tennis practice, he hated it. He wanted, he'd stay on that court all night. He was a club rat. You know, he's one of these guys who you can't get him, like my son, you couldn't get him to leave the club at 11 o'clock at night. But he hit with his dad three times a day. He wins the state championship. And I want to give you one more, Chuck. Uh, You know, the Francis Tiafo story. His parents immigrated from Sierra Leone, Africa. They come here. His dad gets hired to build the tennis center in Columbia Park, Maryland, which I know you know well, you work there. His dad gets hired as a maintenance guy to build that. They live in that tennis center, Chuck. Francis was four years old. His twin brother was there with him. They lived in the maintenance room in that tennis center. And Francis trained there from age six to, you know, 15. He wins the Orange Bowl at 15, the youngest player to ever win it. But, I mean, that, those stories are just compelling, man. I mean, I, I just loved hearing those stories. Well, Francis was a court rat, what we call a court rat. And he was in trouble a lot because he would, he would be out there playing. They had a game called, let's see, what was the name? I had Butthead or something like Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> something. But he would spend all day on the court. He would spend all day on the court doing these games and goofing off. And Vesa Ponto would get so upset with him. And man, he's but the guy was a court rat. I'll tell you a quick story. We were when I was at Clemson. We we were going up to play the University of Maryland. Of course, we got in there late, and then we went over to practice. And we didn't start a practice session till nine thirty at night. And so we played in College Park at the that the tennis center there, and we were we were about ten o'clock and stuff. And the guys and this little little kid comes out, and he's uh, he's out there hanging out. And I said, "Well, what do you do?" He said, "Oh, I'm just hanging out." It was Francis. He's about eight years old, <laughs> and he goes, "Oh, I just wanted to see you guys if you're any good." I don't know. If, I don't know if you could beat Maryland tomorrow. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. 
and he was taunting. <laughs> taunt. I remember he's taunting. You know, I go, okay, okay, son, you go come out. He said, yeah, I'm here all the time. Yeah, he lived in uh, like the maintenance room there with his father and the younger brother Franklin, and that that's a fantastic story. But he was a court rat. He just loved yeah. being on the tennis court. So. Very quickly, Don, I got to go to a break here, and I want you to think about something. When we come back, I've always tried to have an educational message. Your book is an education in itself, and folks, again, it's called Tennis Gold, Don Varda, V-A-R-D-A. It's on Amazon. You need you need to get this book, and there's there's just wisdom in there a lot of it and and these are the type of things that will help you as a parent as a player as a coach to understand there's no magical tour here there's no magic dust there's not one pathway i always say don that it's an expressway it's a freeway it's a highway lots of way lots of ways to get good in this sport but only if you fall in love with this great sport so when we come back i'd like for you to ask if you were, in, I'm gonna always ask you if you were in charge of tennis in the United States, what you would be doing here. And I'm, I'll be right back. This is Coach Chuck Creasy with Don Varden. It's American Tennis. This is Coach Chuck Creasy, and I wanted to remind you that my book, Coaching Tennis, is still out there, and it's still on one of the bestseller lists for. It was actually voted as the number three-rated book, instructional book in tennis in the past couple decades. It's Coaching Tennis, and you can get it by going to Amazon, and everything is in there from A to Z, momentum control, building your game the physical, the mental, and the emotional part of the game. So go to Amazon, and you can get it there. And also go to my website, www.chuckcreasy.net. That's K-R-I-E-S-E.net. Coach Chuck Creasy, and we're back with Don Varda and his book, folks, is Tennis Gold. And uh, Don, congratulations on all this and everything. And the, the the it's not just the knowledge. I remember my mama, my who's your mama? You know, it's it's it wasn't who's your mama. I knew who my mama was first of all, but. Who's in in Indiana? As I hit the door every day, my mother used to say things like, "Don't take any wood nickels, son." She would say, um, "Soap is cheap, books are free. Never be dirty or dumb, son." And she would, say, you know, she had all of these one-line quips, you know, like, uh, "Love many, trust few, paddle your own canoe." How do you like that one? You like that? That's pretty good. <laughs> all right. uh, no, no, this is the best one. I got to get that in there, but it's the best one, Don. But she was, she would say, you know, son, 
you know, uh, the world will promise you buckets of rhinestones, but God will give you the chance to make one diamond with your life. Now, whoa, wait a minute. Now, let's <laughs> that, that, is, that's something that you need to get into and, and, and really, really think about. But wisdom, one of the things she said, said never confuse knowledge and facts with wisdom. She said, son, you're going to have to work hard at what you do. And then when you can put the things out, and then she would say, you know, wisdom, knowledge plus power of the Holy Spirit to know what the truth really is, have discernment, she says, then you have some wisdom. Your book has lots of wisdom in there. And we are at a position in the United States right now where we have not had a male Grand Slam champion since 2002, I think, was uh, Andy Roddick. So if you go 2002, 18 years, well, this year we won't have any because some of the stuff's getting canceled. So you're figuring maybe 72 tries, no American, no American male champion. And, you know, we've had a few female champions, and we've got the women are coming along, it seems like. But for whatever reason, and people will argue, look, it's because of the – um, you know, just the way the competition is. And it is true, after the breakup, the Soviet Union tennis got a lot tougher with all of the uh, old ex-Soviet bloc countries with all their great athletes got into tennis and lots of great coaches, just hard-nosed. There was only one Harry Hopman before 1970. After 1970, I think there were 40 tough, tough, hard-nosed coaches that were like Harry Hopman. But we've, I'm not crash smashing the USTA. They're doing a good job. We dominate, by the way, junior tennis up until about age 16. But something happens to our kids about age 16 or 17 where we get passed by. Now, it might be we spoil them. It might be that too many opportunities haven't suffered for. Maybe, you know, there's lots of different reasons. But now, Don... In, in all of the wisdom that you've obtained from doing this book and, and listening to these coaches, would you have any solutions or at least some recipes or roadmaps we might look at following? Well, I'll tell you uh, a couple of things that come to mind. Um, Jorge Capistani, who does the Tennis Drills TV uh, website, I asked him about this. Why haven't we, why is Andy the only American who's won a championship? And he commented on that and he said that uh, it's a, you know, you mentioned this the first thing you said, Chuck, it's a different time. And he said there's no, there's no repercussions now. If, if you take a player, uh, an American player, and, and they don't win or, or they don't go pro, you know, a lot of them are wealthy. They just go right back to their family. Uh, they'll get a $200,000 job a year, and they'll be fine. Uh, players, uh, players that w w when Americans were winning, Jimmy Connors, John McEnroe, those guys were hungry. Those guys were hungry. And he said, we've, we've lost the edge. And um, I, I think uh, you asked me what I would do and what I think. I think a couple of the things that, that are, uh, may, might be going in the wrong direction, and you've spoken a lot about this, Chuck, but, uh, you know, we have, you know, the, our sport, the beauty of our sport is, is how hard it is and is 
you know, can you, are you physically able to last the third set and go five hours or a fifth set and go five hours? Are you physically and mentally able to do that? And now, you know, we're shortening the scoring. You know, now you can win a set with only four games and now you only have to go two out of three sets. Uh, I I just think, and, and I've heard you speak about this and I just agree with it. Those things take away the message of our sport. And it, it, and that, again, ties back into our society. It's an abbreviated uh, game score. It's, an, it's a quick fix to win. And, and, and Chuck, let's, let's be honest. Uh, you know, the destruction of the American family hasn't helped. Uh, you know, I mean, we're, we're in different times right now. Kids want everything faster. Kids can get everything faster. It's not the old days where you had to grind it out. I remember when my brother played football for Purdue, and we didn't have a weightlifting set. We didn't have anything. And my dad, who was from Belgrade, Yugoslavia, went down in our basement, and he built his home, a big two-story home. He used to get on that ladder and go higher up than I'd want to be in an airplane. And he built that house, and he went downstairs and built my brother the weightlifting uh, bench press set. It was all made out of wood. It was homemade. Purdue gave him a list of, hey, we want you to be able to bench this, and we want you to squat this. And we didn't have the $4,000 Nautilus machine in our basement, Chuck. We didn't have anything in there. My dad built that, and my brother went down there with sweat and tears and, and, did, and made, uh, made those goals. And he reached those goals. And, and I watched him do it. I was a little six-year-old kid walking around, and he'd go down there. And I want to say one other thing you brought up earlier. The, the work ethic involved, you know, my, I, my niece Liliana, she lives in uh, Cleveland. I was on the phone with my sister, and Liliana played piano, right? She loved to play piano. And, oh, and, I, you know, oh, I love tennis. Oh, I love piano. And my sister goes, well, you know, she plays six hours a day. And this was when she was very young, Chuck, five, six, seven, eight years old. And uh, she plays six hours a day. And I thought, wow, you know, that's great. So we go to visit them, Chuck. We go over to Cleveland and stay a couple days. Every year we take turns. My sister comes here. I go there. We go to Cleveland to visit them. For four days we stayed with them. Liliana played six hours a day every day we were there. She made the Cleveland Youth Orchestra at age 11. She put in that work, and, and, and this goes across all sports, but she put in that work. And, 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 you know, when you make the Cleveland Junior Orchestra at age 11, that doesn't happen by you sneaking in the back door with a quick little uh, video game. That happens by tremendous dedication. And I think the reason we're not winning and the reason we haven't won is that social change we have now uh i mean jimmy connors we wanted to beat you every point of he didn't want you to win a point he wanted that so bad now if you make that level you get into the money you're making all this money hey you know if i make the quarters i'm gonna get eighty-seven thousand. i'll go home and you know i'll fly to another city and do it next week there's no absolute i'm gonna win desire Everything's been cushioned. Everything's been made softer. And I believe the decisions that players make, uh, I, I believe that hunger, that hunger, uh, Chuck, has been softened. A couple things that you brought up are fantastic, and I'd like to sort of put a, they say name and claim it, tame it, 
we won't name it, rearrange it, and blame it, like always. But so many wonderful things about getting being good enough for kids is to not be bad. In other words, uh, it, the the dumb down. Shame on us in our organizations, first of all. And USTA knows that my my problem, my number one beef with the USTA is that they don't understand that participation does not breed excellence. Excellence will always breed participation. We need those role models that are like a Jimmy Connors or a the workers like, you know, Stan Smith came up late and back into the days of Cliff Ritchie, who was one of the all-time Dennis Ralston's and these great, great players who really they suffered and they loved the sport so much. It was an art form to them. So this is important that remember excellence will breed participation. Participation does not breed excellence. The thing about hard to pick up is also hard to put down. Once something is hard for you to do and it entices you and it becomes an art form like that, then everyone in every one of these coaches in your book, there's there's something that people will get out of reading it that they will understand that wow, this person was in love with this sport. They were not necessarily attracted by what they could get out of it. The hype and all that stuff blows away, and it the the stuff that is intrinsic, the stuff underneath stays. So where we're missing the boat when we are abbreviating things is that we are not, number one, we're not challenging the kids. And when you don't challenge the kids with anything except, oh, if you're better than the next guy, you get a trophy or something, you've got to challenge them to the core of themselves. Rod Laver's book is fantastic, folks, because the first five chapters, he talks first person about growing up out in Rockhampton, <laughs> the Rockhampton Rocket, and, and exactly what it was growing up with two brothers and his dad making the court in the backyard. And then all, but here's the thing that stuns you, Don, all of the five set matches that he had to win. Always it was yeah. three out of five sets, and how many times he was down two sets to love and was able to w- pull those matches out. So complexity is the hook. Toughness is the hook. And, and we're missing, we're fishing with a barbless hook, folks. We really are. Easy to pick up is easy to put down. So, you know, Don, it, it's, we're, we're missing the boat there. It's ability, God-given ability, plus opportunities, plus the desire of people's hearts. You don't groom a heart by just letting it hang out, breathe air, occupy space. You know, and, and, and the last thing you brought up first, there's no penalty anymore for kids to not be achievers. We pad them. Uh, you know, I would say it's good, 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 bads, bad goods, and bad, bads. We have a lot of bad, bad goods now where we give them participation trophies. We give them our pros make a lot of money early in their careers. And we're watching this group coming up now, Francis Tiafo and the Tommy Pauls and uh, Riley Opalcos and those. And Riley Opalco, I like. He looks like he's hungry, you know. And we're looking for that hungry champion. We're not just looking for some uh, people who breathe air, occupy space, and they're in and out all the time. We're looking for champions, aren't we, Don? So. Well, I remember. Uh, I, I remember a great, a great quote, you know, from Napoleon Hill. 
He said, failure is nature's plan to prepare you for greater responsibilities. Uh, you know, in, in this book, uh, Brian Smith started in tennis, Chuck. He told me he lost his first 15 tournaments. He lost in the first round of every tournament he played. His mom told him, well, you know, honey, this sport might not be for you. He said, no, mom, I love this sport. Dad, Dad I want to do this. He lost everything, Chuck. He didn't win in the first round. He got smoked in his first, I don't remember, 8 to 10 to 20 tournaments. He got he got whipped. Well, anybody back. that has gone through the the that the, the whole journey of tennis, you respect it so much is that you know the lose the losing doesn't defeat you, but it does sting enough to make you want to continue on the journey. And we've got to get people to continue on the journey. Now we've got about five minutes. I want you, if you can, um, if you could just talk about. Your 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 book and we talked about the process of writing it. We've talked about the great people that are in there and everything. But if you could send a message to parents, parent to parent, you know why why they should get the book. We we've brought it up in a lot of different ways. But if you could throw in a few of the things about the parenting and how we're trying to save our youngsters time without enabling them. I guess that would be the message and why, why your book does that, Don. Well, uh, it's one of the first things I'll say is uh, if you just, if you woke up in the morning and you wanted to, uh, you decided you wanted to climb El Capitan, uh, the big uh, mountain, and you wanted to climb that rock side all the way to the top. That's over a mile. And, and, and you said, okay, I, that's a new goal of mine. And you could go out and read a book by a guy who had climbed it four times and spent 18 years trying to climb it. And you could go out and read his book in five days. We call that major advantage. And that's what tennis gold is, Chuck. Tennis gold is, uh, I, I, I use the phrase, over, over 300 years of wisdom. It's more than 300 years. It's a major advantage when you can see where Chuck Creasy started and where Bobby Bayless started and where Tim Cleland was hitting against the outhouse wall. And you could see where these guys came up and what they did to try to, uh, for the love of this sport, and then getting back to the parenting, this book, which you can read in two days or two nights or one night, uh, people are saying they're really enjoying it and it's hard to put down. It's hard to put down, Chuck, because all these stories are different. You get a different story in every chapter. And the way that relates to parents is you're going to find yourself in that chapter. You may have not had the experience yet, or maybe you have had the experience that you've read. But I, I can tell you, uh, these, these are the masters of the game in this book, and, and their experiences are unbelievable. And, Chuck, what separates all of us is different life experiences. Uh, Chuck Creasy came up differently than Rajiv Ram did, than Tim Cleland did, than Tom Gullickson did. Tom Gullickson's mom sent him and his brother, his twin brother, Tim, five years old, eight years old across the street. They lived across the street in Wisconsin from some tennis courts. They started playing, just hitting around when they were five. Tom, Tom joked. He said, we, he said, when I, Don, people ask me what age I turned pro. He said, I turned pro at age eight. And I'm listening to him. He said, cause my brother and I from five to eight, we got so good. We'd be standing out on the court and, and these big uh, college guys would come along 
and, and there'd be two guys that had been with us and they knew how good we are. And they'd tell their two buddies, Hey, I'll bet you, you can't beat these guys in tennis. And the two guys are in college. Think, well, we'll take that bet. Of course, Tim and Tom would win every time and whip them. And then they'd give them a quarter or 50 cents and they'd go get an ice cream. You know, I mean that those kind of stories are just fantastic. So he said he turned pro when he was eight years old because he was getting 50 cents for an ice cream. That's great. One one thing I did want to throw in here at the end, too. Last uh, program we had uh, Dr. Jim Poole and his book, Fast Brain, it, it's called uh, Flipping ADHD on Its Head. So I was taking a walk every other morning, and I was talking to you earlier about previewing the show a little bit. And you said, what was your quote? You're a teacher and everything, yeah. but the, look, no, folks, no disclaimers is my message. If you want to be successful, do not give your children disclaimers, no matter what. No excuses, no matter what, or they'll never challenge the, the problem. You know, so I've, I've always said, you name it, claim it, tame it. Don't name it, claim it, blame it. We all know that, but very often people name it rearrange it and then blame it but we teach our kids how to do that you said very often <laughs> you tell people what is it when they said i got yeah, i want i want to tell you this i want to i want to tell you this story yeah, i want to tell you this story chuck cuz when i was when i was a youngster coming up and you know i got my report card and i had a c in english uh, I, I came home and uh, you couldn't go oh, I, I got add i got ocd i got all this stuff in my house it was dad Dad, you had DAD, and you were gonna, and you were gonna, you were gonna deal with Dad, and that was that was the, you know, there was no blaming it, and you know, uh, on something else. You were, it was DAD when I was a young boy. I love, I love it, and I'm pumping Dr. Jim Poole's book. Go out there, Dr. Jim Poole, P-O-O-L-E, and then the book is called Flipping ADHD on Its Head. But it's brilliant. It's very well written, too, and I, I'm going to give him a plug uh, because the program I put down knocking him on, on its head, well, it's the same difference, but the book's called Flipping ADHD on Its Head. is a great book. And uh, could I mention one thing before we go here, and I'm going to give you the last word. My father, I try to think back. My father was a mild-mannered man. He was a high school math teacher, never pushed much, but he did one thing that was brilliant. You know, and I, I my most important quote that I use with coaches and coaching and bringing along players and parents, this is for you too. I always said that as a coach and ki showing kids the road, you keep fog on top of the mountain till they're too high up to turn back. My father never took me to pro event, pro event, pro event. Growing up in the Indiana, Indiana, he would take me to elementary school events. Then he would take me to some high school events to see the next level. In a very rare occasion, we got to go see a college, a college event. So it's very important to not stun the kids with too much where they can't digest it. You know, so I've got you've got about a minute, Don. Uh, let me. Do you have a website? Um, I do. Uh, it's actually it's it's my tennis gold. It's actually under construction right now. It's brand new, okay. so it probably won't okay. be up for another couple days. But I do have one, okay. and I do ha I have another website that does mention the book. It's called MagnetForGood.com, um, and Magnet yeah, I have that one. But I and then look for yep. MyTennisGold.com yep, as well. Com. 
Folks, yeah. this is Don Varda, V-A-R-D-A, and the, the book is Tennis Gold. And, Don, we're about out of time, but I just wanted to thank you so very, very much for coming on. Maybe we'll do it again. I want to catch up in six months and see – I want, you know, I want you want this break right. Folks, go out and get this book. But Don, any last quick words? Thank you for being on well, the program I, today. Thank you for having me. And I listened to your interview with Dr. Poole, and it was just great. I loved the interview, and uh, I, I want to thank you, Chuck, for giving me the opportunity to be on your program. Uh, it's an absolute honor for me to be on this program, and I just appreciate it very much. Be, be well, my friend, and keep up the good work with these young people. God bless you, and folks, we'll see you next time. In America, born in a hot land, raised up a family, a King James and Uncle Sam. He's got the red, white, blue, fine high on the farm, Semper Fi tattooed on his lips, song, spent a little more in the store for a tag in the back of this. the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash... Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of hefty large black bags. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.